Life is getting expensive, especially where you live it. Since the beginning of the pandemic, the price of a home in the DC metro area has risen 14%. The median price of a home right now is just about $500,000. This week, we talked to WTOP's Jeff Claybaugh, who breaks down this consistent trend of the pandemic, homes getting more and more expensive. We talk about why and what other trends in real estate he's seeing. So, Jeff, it's been two years of this pandemic, and to start, after all of this time, are D.C. area housing prices still at these record highs? The answer to your question is yes, they still are. Uh, you know, it, it varies from month to month, but the overall trajectory is still setting record highs as early spring market is moving into maybe summer. Realtors have called winter in the last couple of months really the early spring compared to normal markets, at least for sales and, and for prices. The problem with the housing market in D.C., as you probably know, is everybody refers to inventory, the lack of houses for sale. It just means there's more buyers chasing fewer homes, and that means bidding wars. And some of them are crazy. So far this year, almost 2% of sales in the D.C. metro have gone under contract for at least $100,000 more than list price. Whoa. 11% of D.C. houses are now valued at a million dollars or more. So, yeah, prices are going up and people are bidding to buy them. And so what's sustaining these record prices? I mean, is it just the demand is still there? It's not ceasing? The demand is there, but the real problem is that there aren't enough people selling their house or putting their house mm. on the market. And so, you know, you and I want to buy a house and there aren't two houses for sale. There's one house for sale. And so the price of that house that's for sale goes up. The real estate industry measures the number of homes for sale with what they call inventory, which is at a record low. That doesn't mean that there's never been fewer houses for sale in the, in the history of the world, but the inventory mm. is measured by the number of houses for sale at any given time compared to the pace at which homes are selling at that given time. That measure of inventory is at a record low. I think if everything that was on the market right now that was sellable were to sell to all the buyers that are out there looking, the, the inventory would be completely gone within a matter of weeks in the D.C. market. Mm. And we've been over this before, but is the cause still attributed to the pandemic itself, or are there other factors at play here? Hmm. Pretty good question. Um, housing markets go on cycles, and I think the pandemic just kind of accelerated what was already a pretty good housing market. The economy mm. was doing well. People wanted to buy home. Home ownership has always been desirable and probably not any less so. In fact, the home ownership rate is now at a, another record high. So maybe the pandemic did have something to do with people wanting to move, wanting to get out of tiny apartments, wanting to get a house right. with a backyard. But mostly, you know, despite what's going on with the economy right now, wages are good. People have money to spend. And in a market like D.C., um, it's it's a desirable market. What makes D.C. desirable? It's kind of different from other cities because there's a lot of knowledge workers here you know i you and i are knowledge workers which kind mm. of cracks me up because i i don't feel particularly <laughs> knowledgeable but but there's a lot of knowledge workers in dc and those are high paying jobs and mm. uh the district itself and the close-in suburbs are very attractive that's where a lot of the employers are during the beginning of the pandemic people were fleeing close-in suburbs and urban areas like New York City and San Francisco, mm -hmm. that didn't really happen in D.C. 
people pretty much stuck around. Although, you know, the suburban real estate market did very well and continues to do very well. But there wasn't this, like, flee to get out of the city or Mm. further away from the city here. Right. And so where is all this money coming from? You mentioned that most houses now are going $100,000 over the sticker price. So do people just have more money or are they spending it more recklessly? Do we know at all if there's any buyer's remorse among all these new home buyers? Well, you know, that's a tricky question because when you get in bidding wars, I think people, particularly first-time buyers, often let emotion cloud their judgment. Mm. And if you're paying more for a house than you had planned to, um, just to get it, the bank's only going to finance what the house appraises for. And so the rest of that's going to come out of your pocket. And that means, you know, maybe the down payment is going to be a lot bigger than you planned. And and if that's the case, well, then you're eating into more of your savings. And you're buying a house that may be priced or you're paying more than it's appraised for or even more than the tax assessment is. The short-term risk there is that, you know, I, I don't think housing prices are going to go down, but they may slow and you know, if you buy a house and say you expect to live in it for five years, but you lose your job or you get transferred and mm. you've got to sell your house and you paid way more than you should have for it, you run the risk of losing money on the house. Mm. Right. Right. That would be a short term thing. I mean, presumably you stay in the house in 10 years and you've built up equity just like like it would normally happen. And do we have any indication of whether the housing market will stay and keep going up or whether it could crash and go down? Um, anything can, you know, anything that goes up can go down. Mm. I think, you know, barring something extraordinary and, and dare I say it like a war, um, unfortunately, right. but uh, barring any, anything extraordinary, I think the thinking is what will happen is that eventually there'll be more buyers that come on. The inventory would really ease the housing market and home builders mm. need to build more houses. New home construction is only like 10% of houses sold, but still they're just not building enough houses and existing homeowners, if they step up to the plate and put their house on the market, that, that'll that ease the inventory crunch. The last time the housing market was like this was like in the early 2000s. And mm. what slowed it then was long about 2008, 2009, the financial crisis came along. The right. demand slowed and the cost of borrowing money, mortgage rates, just got too high. And that's what slowed the housing market back then. So that those are two possible scenarios that we're looking at with this market. Mm. And so moving from the buyers to the people who are actually selling these homes, what has the real estate occupation really been like these past two years? Well, it's interesting. This pandemic made a lot of people want to change their careers. And becoming mm. a real estate agent became one of them. The, the number of uh, real estate licenses issued in uh, Maryland and Virginia last year reached a record high. There are more licensed real estate agents in the D.C. metro right now than there are actually properties on the market for sale. So, Whoa. you know, you know the, the real estate agents are competing with each other just like the buyers are competing with each other. With each other. And it's a great, uh, you know, be your own boss kind of job. Mm. But the National Association of Realtors just recently issued a report about um, incomes for real estate agents. There are realtor members. And if you get your license and you jump into it, their report showed the average gross income for a real estate agent who's been at it for less than two years is only $10,000. And 
And you know, that's not a full-time job. But if you've been at it for a while, real estate agents get the lion's share of their work from repeat customers who fall in love with them or referrals from people they've worked with. So it takes a while to get to the mm-hmm. point where you're making that kind of money. Also, being a real estate agent, I don't know if you have friends who are. I've got a couple of friends who are. It is not an easy job. I mean, that's you're on call 24-7, and you've got to right. please a lot of people to make that kind of money. So where would you encourage listeners to kind of start if they're considering buying a house? You know, we've been talking about these high prices. How do you navigate all of this? Um, I don't want to sound like I'm a, an ad for real estate agents, but mm. they can really be your friend. I know a lot of first-time buyers are the generation where I can do everything online. Um, there's mm. probably an app for that, and, and there are. I mean, you know, you know, push button, get mortgage, that kind of thing. But right. a real estate agent, you know, can answer a lot of questions, particularly for first-time buyers that they may may not even know they have about the buying process, about what mm. to expect, um, about the right neighborhoods to be looking in, things that you should look out for. For example, the big thing now is, well, it's been this way for a while, is waiving contingencies like inspections. So I got a mm. house on the market. Maybe it's got all sorts of problems with the plumbing uh, you really like the house, and so do four other people. Uh, and in order for me to select your bid, you just say, uh, I'm going to waive the inspection. Mm. And so a lot of buyers are finding out that that's a mistake because one of the biggest regrets that first time home buyers have is getting into their house and finding unexpected expenses right up front. And you just spent right. everything you had in your bank account to come up mm. with that down payment, and now you've got a $5,000 appliance replacement cost. Uh, so, mm. I mean, you know, I think those are the only regrets. There's, especially, I mean, I remember the first time I bought a house, there's nothing that makes you feel better than that. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, kind of emotionally, it's like, wow, this is mine. Um, right. I'm going to yeah. paint the wall any color I want. <laughs> right. Sense of security, too, maybe. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's that. Yeah. Well, moving on from uh, residential real estate onto just office spaces, you know, it's been a looming question about whether workers will flow back in when, you know, it's been this kind of ceaseless pause. The pause button has been hit probably, you know, four or five, six times at this point. But is there any indication that, you know, workers will finally, at this point of the pandemic now becoming endemic, that workers will come back to the office? Here in the D.C. area, and going back to what I said earlier about, you know, knowledge workers, D.C. probably has more jobs that can be done remotely than some other cities. But that doesn't mean they should be done remotely. So that's the big debate. Uh, Sure, says Company A, this has all worked out really well. You you don't have to come in if you don't want to. We're going to just keep we're going to go full time remote for as long as you want to do it. And then there's Company B that says, you know what, I'm, I'm spending $25,000 a month to lease this office space. I want to see my employees. I think that collaboration is best done face-to-face, and I want as many of you back here as possible. And then, of course, whatever the industry is makes a big difference, too. I mean, mm. n- not everybody can work remotely. And In fact, I would not say most, but i definitely say the majority of people cannot work remotely, and, and not just people who are working at a grocery store or at a bar or restaurant. There's a lot of people who can't do their jobs remotely. They make really good money, like 
like a doctor or mm. you know yeah. a pilot a pilot can't say well I'm, I'm gonna work from home two days a week right <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that said for those who can work remotely here's where it's here's where I think it's going I think mm. what is out trending working at home full-time is these hybrid schedules and that's good for right. people who are looking for work-life balance and it's also a compromise that I think more companies are going to be willing to make or realize that they kind of need to make just because mm. the labor market's so so tight and you know if you were if your skills are in demand you can probably find a job someplace else and make that one of your priorities is that I, I want some work-life balance so I, that's my that's what I think is going to come mm. away from this that the trend is definitely going to be to hybrid schedules right and that leverage you kind of talked about where bosses really need to accommodate and compromise with these hybrid uh, schedules is that a symptom of this kind of great resignation and is that an era we're still in oh yes i but i think um, according to the labor department anyway over four million americans have quit their job every month for the last four months and while it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't say why people quit, there can be many reasons for it, but it's presumably because they're pretty optimistic they can find another one or they already did. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the great resignation is definitely a thing. And all you have to do is talk to HR managers and they will tell you, boy, not only are we having trouble keeping our employees, but we're having a really hard time attracting them because it's mm. definitely a job seekers market right now. And, and the top reasons for people leaving for another job aren't money. Um, it's like, wow. um, I think the top reason it's toxic workforce, which is kind of kind of a buzzy way of saying, you know, my right. manager is abusive. The, mm. my, my coworkers are, are way too competitive. Um, I don't feel comfortable here. But behind toxic workforce is the good old work-life balance and mm. you know you're for people who have worked remotely and again most people can't but for people who have worked remotely the last two years have been eye-openers about mm. hey this is pretty good i like this and i want to find a job where i can keep doing this yeah and so if you're a worker in a time or an era of the great resignation how should you be kind of using this newfound leverage um as the well you know i i I, I personally don't have that option because there's not much demand for a local business radio reporter. But <laughs> <laughs> if, if I were an IT engineer, the world would be my oyster, especially in D.C., in the Bay Area, probably in Boston. And mm. if you are that person, you're probably pretty plugged into what's going on. And, you know, a lot of these IT professionals in the D.C. area are independent contractors anyway. They may work for Booz Allen Hamilton, but, you know, they get two or three assignments a year and they do most of it from home and maybe they go into the office a, a, a couple of times a month they probably don't mm. even have a desk there so mm. uh yeah if you're the if you're the the man or the woman that's looking to get out looking around you got to know your industry but for the employer you also need to know you, you need to know what competitive pay is you can't just say this is what i've always paid for this job i i need to know what everybody else is paying for this job and i've got to be competitive to try to keep and attract employees it's so competitive right now that there's this this yeah i don't know if you're familiar with the word ghosting but in dating if you just aren't interested you ghost that person you don't respond anymore that's happening with candidates applying for 
jobs and then getting an offer and they're just not even in, they don't even return the call the call back and the thing about that is I, i've i've done that story a couple of times i've reported on it and i get feedback from people readers or listeners who who say hey i, I call bs on that because i am a seasoned employee i have a great resume i have lots of strength and lots of skills and employers are ghosting me i've applied for dozens of jobs and i don't even get a call back i don't even get a rejection so I'm not sure what's going on there, but um, the Society for Human Resource Management, I asked them about that, and they said it's just bad business practice because what it does is ruin a company's reputation because people who are ghosted by potential employers, they go on LinkedIn or Indeed or, or Glassdoor, and they just trash the company. So I'm not sure why that is, but it's apparently as big a phenomenon as applicants ghosting employers as it is for employers ghosting applicants. So that's kind of a problem for people out there in the job market right now. Mm, right. On this show, you know, we talk a lot about when is it normal, is it normal yet? Obviously, that's the title of the show. And this past week, you know, we had Dr. Monica Gandhi. She basically said from a government regulation standpoint, and even, you know, medically, it really seems as if there's this normal, but there are some lingering non-normal phenomena still going on, you know, psychologically. But I also think, and maybe you can answer this, is it normal yet within kind of this real estate office life? Not even close. No. Not even close. Okay. No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, in in the D.C. metro, the office tenant occupancy rate, which measures how many workers are in the building compared to pre-pandemic, is still just 36%. And that's that's on the low side nationally. Among the 10 biggest cities, that's, I think, in the lower half. So, you know, right now it's not even close to normal. But... You know, is it normal yet? Will it be? I hate to, you know, use a trite phrase, but is there a new normal? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it, no, the, no. The working, <laughs> the traditional working no, no, at the no. office situation is not normal. No. Yeah. Are there any trends that the pandemic, you know, sparked that are now the new normal that have just stuck? And with some confidence, we can say they're staying. I would say I would go back to the hybrid work schedule. Um, I think... It's preferred probably, or actually, surprisingly, remote work is actually preferred by older workers, not younger ones. There was a recent mm. survey that found um, just 36% of Gen Zers, you know, who have that terrible reputation of wanting to do everything in their comfy pants on the couch, and <laughs> they grew up with technology. Yeah, 36% right. of Gen Zers feel that working remotely is highly desirable, and half of Gen Xers do, and, and two-thirds of baby boomers do. So, mm. you know, I, 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 I don't know why. I'm, I'm, I'm not a Gen Zer, um, but maybe it's when you're early in your career, you're looking for that mentoring and that feedback, yeah. and plus there's the yeah. whole social thing. And when you're older, the last thing you want to do is go to happy hour after work with people <laughs> you just spent nine hours with. <laughs> so, Jeff, moving forward, what are you keeping your eye on? So say the emerging trend is hybrid work, and at the beginning of the pandemic and throughout 2020 and 2021, people who could work remotely realized they could work wherever they want. We've talked about that. It was really good for suburban sales and ex-suburban sales, and hey, if I work for a company in D.C. and my parents live in Des Moines, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move to Des Moines because I can. Well, if this hybrid thing really becomes the dominant solution to all this, well, that's going to mess all of that up. Now, hopefully, 
people two years ago didn't say, hey, I can work anywhere I want. I'm buying a house in Middleburg, and I'm not going to work downtown D.C. anymore. Well, now they're stuck because the boss is saying, okay, here's the compromise. I need you in here two, two days a week. (laughs) <laughs> they just really messed up. For renters, it's, it's not that big a deal, right? A, a mm. renter is much more mobile. Um, I, we already see that, that uh, particularly in, in D.C. And, and in Arlington County, uh, rents are through the roof after, you know, rents fell through the basement in 2020. And mm. vacancies are really low uh, and tight. So that's a pretty good sign that, you know, People are coming back to the to the city area here in D.C., and maybe this hybrid thing is going to play a key role in that. Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Sure, I look forward to next time. The price of a house isn't the only thing getting more expensive these days. On Friday, AAA recorded its highest gas average for the D.C. region at $4.35 for a gallon of regular. On Sunday, that number came down two cents to $4.33. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Lockspeed. Join me next Monday as the world recovers. Hey, it's Luke here again. If you've liked this show, is it normally a podcast? I've got some exciting news for you. I'll be starting a new daily podcast with WTOP's investigative reporter, Megan Cloherty. It's called the DMV Download. We'll be launching it this spring, and we'll be doing what we've done in this show. But instead of just focusing on the pandemic, we'll zoom out on all the stories that WTOP covers. So every afternoon, we'll drop an episode where we dive deep into the top story of the day. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. That's at DMV Download.